I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4. We'll spend a lot of time today talking in 1 Corinthians 3 and 4. And 1 and 2 and 3 later on. The title of my message this week and probably for next week is Fools for Christ. Not a very pleasant sounding title, is it, to be considered or called a fool for Christ. But the message is stirring, to say the least, and it's also very challenging. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, we have this. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world... Let him become a fool, that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, now that's the worldly wise, that they are vain or useless. And then he, over in chapter 4 and verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake. But you're wise in Christ. We are weak, but you're strong and you're honorable, but we are despised. That is, the way we are viewed by others preaching to you about us. If you are familiar with the history that when Paul would preach in Corinth, he'd preach the gospel. This was all new, and it was declaring that the law had come to an end as a way of life, as a means of righteousness. And that we're no longer under the law, but we're under something called grace. And the Judaizers who couldn't accept that would come along after Paul, and they would take them back into Judaism. And they would attack Paul's character, attack his speech, his stature, his small, his bodily presence, his weak, his speech is contemptible. They said all these things against him to try to demean what he said. And Paul even said to him once, he said, you know, you receive another spirit, you receive another Christ, and you receive these people gladly, and they're robbing you and stealing from you and taking away from you what you could have had. You're honorable. We're fools. Because that's the way they were viewed by others after them who come along and said, now, Paul, all that stuff that he believes and all that stuff he's saying, that's foolish. Has anybody ever said that about us or about God's way of living? Has the world ever declared that the way the Bible teaches that disciples live is foolish? Well, you can say yes because it happens all the time. We're not as familiar with it as because we don't know many people that are living that tight. Or maybe it's that narrow. But would it be true if in a modern, intellectual, thumb-talking society, that's phone-talking, that if you live the way the Bible says that this high-tech advanced society will look down on you? You see, the way we're supposed to live, the way we are teaching and hopefully we're teaching, giving you a chance to have a conviction about it anyway, your conscience has to be approached with this. And you contrast what you've been hearing about the way God wants with what the world says, and your mind which has to be renewed because it's worldly in its thinking and its conclusions, your mind says, well, you'll never go anywhere doing that. Well, you'll never get anything. You'll never have anything. You'll never be anything. Well, they'll lock you up. And what you're saying is, that's foolish. Well, you'd be a fool to do that. Back when I was teaching school, and there was a, a wonderful move of God in the high school amongst kids, and a number of kids appeared to be coming to Christ. One parent told her daughter, a cheerleader, a very pretty girl, told her that you're going to ruin your life. You're giving up all of the fun you could have to be like that, which means to be like a Christian, to live this new and different way of living. And so they uh, tried to talk her out of it, and she did. Eventually, a lot of people did. But are you willing to live so differently from the world that the world looks down on you? I was thinking this week, one of the hardest things for us to handle, whoever we are, whether you're in the Lord or out of the Lord, one of the most difficult things in life to handle is people looking down on you, looking at you as though you're inferior, 
looking down on you that you are less than they are. It's a mental put down. And we want to rise up, and we do, a lot of Christians do. We want to rise up and justify ourselves and in your face, which is not what humility is about. Because God allows a lot of things to confront us so we can prove that we're humble or prove that we're not. But to be called a fool or to be considered a fool or an ignoramus or... Dumb. That's dumb. We got a box of aspirins here and you don't want to take them to get rid of it. That's dumb. See, anybody that deviates from the world's system of choosing and acting and reacting is considered a fool. Let me give you a definition of fool. The legal definition of a fool would be silly or stupid. That's a bad word. That's a hard word. Silly or stupid. We get our Greek word from moros, from which we get our English word moron. Can you imagine somebody looking at you and saying, you moron? But that's what the word for fool is in the Bible. Now, that's a bad word, and none of us should ever be like that. When Paul said, I'm a fool for Christ, he did not mean, I'm silly and stupid for Christ. No, it doesn't mean that at all. But the world views us because we do it differently, think differently, and act differently than they do, or we're supposed to. They view us as morons. Now, the fact that they accept us pretty well and they like us and they don't see any problem with us means probably there's something wrong with us. Because remember in John chapter 7, Jesus said, the world's going to hate you. In this world, you're going to have a lot of tribulation because of what you believe. If you want to modify what you believe so that people won't think you really like that, then go ahead. You won't be a fool, but you might miss heaven too because that wasn't a wise decision. Go back to chapter 3. See, a fool is somebody that lacks judgment or sense. And we should never be like that. If anybody should have good judgment, it should be us. We're not senseless people and all of that. Now, the Bible describes a fool like this. A fool is an atheist. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. In the eyes of the Almighty God, that's bad. Or the fool is a dishonest person. He seeks gain by being dishonest. All that leads to is judgment. God's going to judge you for that, but maybe they don't believe He will. Somebody's talked them out of that. Or a man who despises instruction, Scripture says, is a fool. That is, he's unwise. He lacks sense. To reject what God is offering when God's words are life, to reject that is to say to God, I reject life-giving words. Because, you see, in my estimation of what you want me to do, I'm going to find persecution and hardship. I might get fired from my job. If I live this way, I can't do what I'm doing. Therefore, it's going to cost me too much. Therefore, I reject what you said for me to do, and I come up with something better, which I'm sure you'll accept, which the Bible says is unwise. God says that anybody in all the world or in anything in all the world that says anything different than what God says, it is said in darkness. Know that? It's said in darkness. If they speak not according to this word, it's because of what? They have no light. Can you imagine thinking of the multitudes of people in this world who have heard at least to some degree what God says, which he calls light, the entrance of his words give. Now, they have heard that, but with light comes discernment, a certain amount of discernment, because you see that if you live like this, it's going to change your life. But the problem is, if you live like this, you're going to lose something that's dear to you, and that's the world. It's a terrible challenge, but it's, a, it's there. 
you got to give up your life to gain life. Now, that's a wise way to do it. But to a man who can't see it that way, I'd be a fool to give up what I have in order to, to move from where I live with the job I've got to move to some other state to go to church. Don't their families and friends say that's dumb? What an ignorant thing to do. we got churches everywhere. Why would you move across the state to go to one? And people look at our decisions. They consider us to be sometimes extreme fools. But 1 Corinthians 3 again. Are you there yet? 18th verse. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you, if anybody in this meeting this morning right here, or those of you out there in the live streaming world. If any of you, if anybody among you seems to be wise in this world, clever, crafty, able to use and manipulate and all of that, if the world admires your wisdom and all of that, you know what the Bible says? Let him become a fool. What do you mean? If any of you in this world seem to be wise, let him become a fool in order that he can be wise. What does that mean? Well, if any of you are doing things the world's way, using the world and it's working for you, but you're violating something that God has taught you or a way that God has taught you, give up that way of the world. Give up that worldly wisdom and become what the world would call a fool, in order that God says that your decision to do things His way is wise. Look at verse 19. The wisdom of this world, man's way of living, the way they put things together, is foolishness with God. Why? Because it amounts to judgment at the end. Man lives his whole life in this world, all of his dreams and all of his hopes and all of his aspirations for life is entirely in this world. He'll give up anything to gain the world. She'll leave her husband, he'll leave his wife. They'll do most anything to gain the world. They'll lie, cheat, deceive, because everything is about the world. And God says that is foolish. That kind of thinking is deceiving you. This world is only temporary. It's only for a moment. It's even going to pass away someday. It's going to melt away. Gone. Poof. All your decisions in this life to gain the world, you're going to lose your soul. Now that would be, to use that ugly word, that would be stupid. For God to offer you life eternal and you give it up so you could have life momentary. To gain the world is to lose your soul. But to lose your soul, that is to be a fool in the eyes of the world, is to gain your life. It just means that living the way God wants us to live is considered to be foolish in the world. God says you're a wise man to give all this world's yuck up in order to have my approval of your life. Wisdom and foolishness. And so he said we're fools for Christ. If you want to be wise in God's eyes, he says you must discard the wisdom gained in the world system which contradicts God's way. Because there is, and you know it and I know it, the way the world says we should do things, the way you're trained by your family and school, your friends, society, trends, ways... Society says this is the way normal people live. And yet God comes up and he says, none of that's right. The world says if you want to have anything, get a good loan, get a good interest rate, and then work on that and build up your credit rating. And then this way you'll be able to get more. And God says, no, don't owe no man anything. Well, how are you ever going to have anything? You say, well, I don't know. You don't know how you're going to, this is the way a parent would talk to a child that just wants to follow God. You don't know how you want to, ever going to have anything, but you're going to give up the normal way that normal people do things because you think that God, who, wherever He is or whoever He is, that God's going to just supply your need. What's He going to do? Pop! 
One day a big armored car comes up to your door and big heavy men carry it back. Here, this is yours. You think God's just going to poof, do something like that. Or some prehistoric bird flies from heaven and drops a bundle of money on your doorstep. Of course, the guy believing says, he could. (laughs) And they look down on you. Listen, now here's where they come. I don't know what religion you've got yourself caught up in. And there are some weird ones. But this way of thinking that you've come up with is foolish. You don't even have your head on straight anymore. You were in there coughing and hacking the other day, and I went there to give you some whatever they give them. And you said, no, by stripes I'm healed. And your mother and I were worried about you. We think you're crazy. We think, <laughs> we think there's something really wrong with you, that you've been mentally affected by this religion you're in, and maybe you need to have your head brainwashed or something. Parents have paid big money to have their religious children's minds brainwashed, whatever they do or try to do. I'm just telling you that after all of these years walking with the Lord, doing things the way He wants us to do, God comes along when He saves us and He says to all of us in the thick of this world, give it up. Lord, put your finger here and turn to 1 John chapter 2. Verse 15 and 16. If any man love the world, what does it say? Then the love of the Father is not in him. That would mean I could be a very religious person, a preacher, a pope. Or I could be just a common churchgoer. And not realize it and be so deceived that while I'm very religious and very devoted to my religion, I'm very worldly. Because when it comes to the choices I have to make, God's choices are not the ones that I make. But I compromise that by saying, well, you know, not everybody can do this and therefore justify not doing what God wants. Now, being worldly, if the love of the world is in you, then the love of your Father is not in you. It's not leading you. It's not guiding you. It's not directing you. You think it is. You sing about it, but it's not working. Here's what he says. For all that is in the world. Does your Bible say that? For all that is in the world. And we live in it. And we function in it. And while we are in it, we're not of it. He said, all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of your flesh, and the pride of life. That's what we are when we've accomplished and gained a whole bunch of it. And we feel real good about ourselves that we worked hard by the sweat of our brows and by good judgment that we have had, we have done very well. We become proud of ourselves. We'd like people to say, boy, you really, yeah, I have. He said, in the pride of life, he said, it is not of the Father, but is of the world. You know what he says about the world? First Thessalonians 5, 19 says, the whole world lieth in wickedness. Now, if I love the world, I love wickedness. If I love the world, I am guided by what God says is wickedness. Wickedness is anything that's not of God. Would you agree? This world's wisdom, folks, is how intelligent people live. It's how intelligent people function. This world is called the real world by those who want you to know that you're so out of it that you're messing up your life. You're not even in the real world here. you got your brain in the clouds or something. The world is its trends, its views, its aspirations, its motivations. Anything that promotes the world, worldly gain is of the world. And while we may sit and listen to this for 30 years, it's not easy to give that up. Because God's good grace has given us so much and has blessed us with so many good things. And you taste some of that and you'd like to have more of it. And it's hard to just be content. 
with such things as you have without trying to get more and gain more and have more and do more, be more. Which things get in the way. Sometimes you can't do the things God wants you to do because the world has all your time and, and your attention. But the world teaches us that the right application of the world's ways is what success is. When you have to compromise, you compromise. When you have to change your tone of voice, you change your tone of voice. You do whatever you have to do to get what you want. It's not wrong to lie to the, somebody on the phone and say the boss is not here when he really is here because he's the one who told you to do it. It's not your problem. It's his problem. You're just employee. That's the way the world functions. That's the way the world sees things. That's the way the world reasons. That's what is sensible in this world. If you want it, you've got to go get it yourself. You can't wait on anybody else to do it, not even God. And so the world begins to form in people how to function, how to have things. And when you get them in church and they're full of that and you start teaching the way of God, it comes against all of that and people don't like it. That's too hard. That's too hard. He's too harsh. You know why? Anytime you think the Word of God is unreasonable, it only reflects how much of the world is in you. It only declares that the world is so offended by what God says because you've got to let go of it. Well, who do you think is behind the world? Who is called the God of this world? The devil. Who is the prince of the power in the air? The spirit that works in disobedient people. It's the devil. Is that who we want to emulate, the people in this world? Why, no. No, we don't. But this is the way the world is. And what does God say about all of that? If they speak not, if the professor speaks not, if the aunt, uncle, mother, father, brother, sister, preacher speaks not according to this word, they have no light. And if you believe what they say because it's more reasonable or more uh, acceptable, fits in better with your way of life, then you're going to start walking in darkness. How could you walk in light if you reject light? How could you do what is right if you reject right? And yet what is right in the eyes of a lot of people is a better right than God's right. Well, we know God said that, but let's remember it was written 2,000, 3,000 years ago. And I would like to think that in 3,000 years there's been some progress, meaning that the Bible is not what it used to be, and its methods and its ways have been surpassed by modern technology. And to an intelligent, worldly person who is trained in this world, by this world, for this world, that makes a lot of sense. So he begins to view the Bible not as the Word of God, but as a Word which contains the Word of God, and not necessarily everything in there is for today. Now you can pick and choose what you want to believe. That is what a fool is in the eyes of God, because God will judge that. You will stand at the last day with that kind of theology and hear a depart from me. I never knew you word. It's either or. It's God's way or the world's way. You can have all the excuses that you want, us in this room. You can make good, reasonable excuses. Well, yeah, that's okay. As to why you don't do things God's way, whether it's attendance, reading, praying, giving, doing, helping, going, loving. But you were trained to act like that by the world because that's how they function. Are you all still in here? Say we love you, Brother Tom. Thank you. That's the way we're trained. And it's so subtle. We can't see it. All we can see is that to make this big change from the world to God, we're going to lose everything. This message is going to be about faith before we get done. Well, I praise God for that. 
but I can remember a long time ago in making the great change, the great shift from the only way I've ever known, the only way my mind can compute, to over to something that I'm struggling with. And hearing my mind question the Word of God saying, well, now, if you had an accident or something or you need to go to the hospital, how and where are you going to pay for it? You know, in my simple mind, thank God. My mind's never been complicated. I just say, I don't know. It's not mine to be concerned about. My God will supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So why would I care? Why would I concern myself with tomorrow? He says sufficient for today. And see, I had enough word in me to talk like that. And pretty soon the devil goes. You resist him and he'll flee from you. But worldly wisdom makes you think in worldly ways. Worldly wisdom makes you worry. Worldly wisdom makes you fret. Makes you wring your hands and you get stressed out because of the way the world has trained us. And again, it is so subtle, it is so ingrained in us that we can't see it. And hopefully, as we teach on things like this, our eyes will be open and we'll begin to see, that's my problem. I'm afraid to give up this or afraid to give up that. I'm afraid what God said won't work. He said this word is life, but I'm real sure if I live according to this book, I'm going to lose everything. It'll be the worst thing that ever happened to me. You think God would do that to you? Well, my mind tells me that. No wonder it has to be renewed. No wonder it has to be redone. It computes wrong, but that's what the world has done to us. It's sitting here today and listening to some things and saying, that's hard. That's what the world has done to you. It's made you see that it's too costly to live God's way because the big deal is if I live God's way, people will look down on me. You used to be so, and then they look, but now look at you. You won't borrow to buy your car and you drive that junk heap around and you won't do this or won't do that. You're an embarrassment to our family. Is it ever possible that in Matthew chapter 10, the man's enemies will be there in his own house? Well, why? Because of choices you're starting to make, or the right choices living this narrow way. Again, God said the whole world lies in darkness. Look in James chapter 4 and verse 4. If you don't give up God, at least compromise a little bit here. He says that friendship with the world is what? Now, wait a minute now. Let me study a little bit while I'm talking at the same time. So, if I love the world, if I have affection, the attraction of the world is where my affections are because, yes, I lust for that. I want that. And in order to get that, I'll do, well, oh, whatever, you know. Anyway, and if I do that, the love of God is not in me. I think it is. I tell people I love God. God loves me, and yet it's not true. man who loves God does what God wants. Isn't that right? And so he says here that if you love the world, then you're an enemy of God. Does that mean that God and I are on opposite sides of the battlefield? Who's going to win? God. Well, then you're a fool. Anybody that go into battle knowing going into this battle, I'm going to get whooped. It's crazy for going into battle like that. If you want to win, you got to be on the winning team. you got to be on the right side. If you're in the world, you lose. You'll lose now. You'll lose at Judgment Day. You'll be on pills and drugs the rest of your life, dealing with the stress the world brings into your life. There is no peace in the world. There is none. And yet, those Christians who have released themselves at least more and more from the world and have what the world says nothing are at peace. The world can't give it. The world can't sell it. No insurance company can guarantee you tomorrow. And yet, you say, I don't need that. I've got the 91st Psalm. Oh, that's not funny to them. But to you, it's life. 
With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. No evil shall befall him. No plague will come nigh his dwelling. God will give his angels charge concerning him to keep him in all of his ways. Listen, I would be a fool not to do that. If the Almighty God is offering me that, why in the world do I need this other stuff? If God meant what he said... If his word really does accomplish that which he pleases, if his word really does prosper in that to which he sent it, if God really is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he said, if he said it, he'll do it. And this is his word to me, which offers me life on a grand scale. I would be a fool to reject that out of fear it won't work or being uncertain of it or let somebody talk me out of it. I'd be a fool. God offers us life, abundant life, offers it to us, freely given. That's what the Holy Spirit, he said, one of the things he does when he comes is to show you the things that are freely given to us. Why would we hold back and say, I don't know about that? Why would we do that? You know what it is. It's called unbelief. What feeds unbelief? The world system. Because the world can't say that. The world can't give you tomorrow's guarantee. The world can't give you eternal life. The world cannot protect you and keep you. The world cannot. Nothing about it. No amount of money you gain. No gain in this world can do that. You can't buy a long life. You can't buy another breath. You can't. All money can do is add to your misery at the end. And God offers a release from all of that. Take your pick. Would you rather have the world in this way or God in his way? The world says you're fools to choose God. And God says you are fools to choose the world. Paul said... Count me in with God. And all the persecution, all the stuff that was said about him, all the claims made against Paul, all the ugly things that people said, he writes back, he says, we're fools for Christ. We don't even fight back. We take it, live with it, and go on knowing that we're right. We're not so right because we can prove we're right. We're right because we believe by faith that what God says is true. But if, back in James 4, you're still there, aren't you? But if I am at enmity with God, it means I am in hostilities with God. His way is not my way. His thoughts are not my thoughts. Therefore, His guarantee is not my promise. I am apart and without hope and without God in this world. Now, the only way you escape that is by giving it all over to the Lord. Or as they would say, by the world, you're becoming a fool for Christ. The world neither obeys his laws or submits to his claims or seeks to honor him or to love him and obey him. They don't do that. They go to church. They organize churches. They make their own. They build their own system. And it excludes anything that demands your all. And once these systems of man are built, they never, ever change. Nobody could change them. Nobody's been able to change anything. They are the way they are. They're acceptable to the world. They function by the world. They function for the world. Because you see, all religious systems, ours, us here, we have a way we do things, do we not? Every group, gathering, system, denomination, church, whatever, has determined how they're going to function, how they're going to do things. They all do a lot of things the same, but they do a lot of things differently. 
Some baptize with a sprinkling of a rosebud, some with another method. I asked a Methodist preacher once, the thing up there in the front of his church is a little stand about this high with a bowl and a lid on it. I knew what it was, but I wanted him to think I didn't know. I said, what's that thing? He said, that's our baptistry. I said, how do you get a man in it? But he was pretty crafty. He said, we don't have to get the man. We get his soul in it. I said, I don't know about that. I think mine's a little bigger. But anyway. Anyway. Man has devised ways, systems. He had organized himself into a well-pleasing way of worshiping and serving God and ministering to all the people that come to that. But here's what God says. There is a way that seemeth right. Now, we've got to examine ourselves, too. Same thing. I'm not hammering all these, talking about all these other people and leaving us out. I, we're all together here. There is a way that seemeth right unto man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. Now, I believe personally that how we're viewing God and looking at things and coming together to worship, I believe it's right. I could change. We could all change. I mean, we could get light we don't have yet and do things differently and better. What's the word when you know what they're going to do? Yeah, that word. We know what we're going to do before we get here. You don't know what I'm going to say, and I don't either, but we know what we're going to do before we get here. We're going to come in, sit down. They're going to come up and play song. We're going to stand our feet. We're going to clap, do this, that. We're going to sit down. He's going to take a testimony, say something funny. He's going to preach. Everybody's going to say, I'm glad you came. <laughs> and we're going to leave him go home. <laughs> We've done it for 30-some years. Here's the thing. The world says the way it's done in the world is if it gets stale, change it. And I say, okay, okay, let's change it. What do we do for All right, let's start the meeting with the benediction. All of you stand on your feet so we can go home. Wait a minute, we just got here. Well, they better sit down because that's confusing. Okay, uh, I'll come out before anybody gets here. I'll start preaching. When I get done, then the song leaders will come up and sing. And then when they get done... And you all sit back down. I'll say, does anybody have a testimony today? And they'll say, no. And say, okay, you can go home now. Well, fact of it is, doing it the same way all the time isn't necessarily bad. Isn't it? You still sleep in the same bed you've been sleeping in for how many years, haven't you? You didn't change that yet, have you? <laughs> how long have you been wearing them shoes? It's not wrong to do things the same way all the time. But the wrong part is changing because people are getting bored and we want to liven people up. And then we organize a program. We start introducing something new. What are we trying to do? We try to make people happy now. And yet God didn't bring us in here necessarily to make us happy. But he brought us in here to give us information and for a chance for us to worship him and fellowship for a while. It's not wrong to do the same thing every week as long as every week God meets with us. As long as every time we come in that door, there's a certain amount of conviction that you experience and take out of here with you. Things that will begin to change your life and make you more the way God wants you to be. There's nothing wrong with that. The Christian church I grew up in, we never changed anything all my life. I don't remember anything ever changing. Mrs. Cartwright knew when to get up off of her seat and sit down and play the organ. They knew when to light the candles. They knew when the choir was to come in. They knew when we're supposed to bless be the tie. That by, at the end of the sermon, everybody go home, go back the door and tell the preacher's a good sermon. You didn't even listen. That's the way the world trains us. And we've changed. We get down to where we're not formal anymore. We're not real formal here. Okay, we're real formal here. <laughs> but we don't have to be. 
We're not trying to impress anybody. We're not trying to make our visitors want to come back or think, wow, what a... We're just trying to say, let's hear what the Word of God has to say. Let's just listen. Teach me thy way, O Lord, that I may walk in thy truth. That's why I'm called a fool in the world. Because I'm walking in a way they don't walk. I'm living a way they don't live. I have new information that supersedes the old information. And when I put that information to practice, I become different than the way I used to be. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Suffer. The idea that you would be willing to suffer in this society, the world says, is foolish. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to do it that way. Blah, blah, blah. Take the word seemeth. Remember that? I just read that there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end of those ways are the ways of death. I looked up the word seemeth to see what it says, and it means to give the outward appearance. Outwardly, we look right. We sing in songs, preaching sermons, talking about Jesus, mention the resurrection. Another definition was to appear to exist, to give the outward appearance of or to appear to exist. There is a way that seemeth right. There is a way we come together that just seems so right. And again, how many different ways are there in Christianity? How many groups are different? This group does it this way, this group does it this way, this group does it this way. The Catholics do their thing, Episcopalians and the Presbyterians and the Methodists, Baptists and the Pentecostals, and everybody has their way in their pet doctrines. Who will change any of them? Listen, they can't all be right. And they're not all wrong. And I'll say this, and I mean this, there are really good people in all of them. We should never look down on anybody or attack other people just because they're people. But I can tell you this, that not every system that has been devised by man, whether it's Calvinism or Lutheranism or Wesleyanism, that nothing that has been devised by man and promoted by man is right. The only way that is right is God's way. And the amount of organization in God's way, though there is some, there's not a lot. There are some who believe that any meeting where I stand in the front and you sit out there and you fellowship with the back of somebody's head for an hour and a half, it's not what God meant when he called us to have a church. We should sit in a circle where we can see each other and take turns sharing. The people that believe like that, they wouldn't come in here. This is not the way you should do it. Everybody has a way. We have to examine ourselves to see if we're in the right way. Because there is a way that seems right. It certainly has all the outward appearances of being right. But it's not. And when that system of man begins to settle you into a way of life that disregards what the Bible said because that's not how we do it, then it's a way of death. Are you here? Take your finger out of where you were in 1 Corinthians. Turn to Colossians chapter 2 and look with me for a moment at verse 8. Colossians 2 and verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you, that is, rob you or take away from you through philosophy and vain deceit. Empty leadings, empty misrepresentations, philosophies. Philosophy here could be the opinion of man as to what it meant. Or this is how I see it. Or this is the way I think it should be. Or this is what I think he meant. Now we're warned. Men don't always get it wrong, but they get it wrong enough that the Bible says you beware that no man rob you, spoil you, by preaching to you a gospel which leaves out certain essential things because it's not what our system does, whether it's a baptism in the Holy Ghost or political stuff. 
or faith for healing, not many would go that way. But if they're leaving that out of what they're teaching you, they're robbing you. They're robbing you because Jesus died that you could have that. And because they don't want that or they're not sure about that, they've been talked out of it. They have an anti-word spirit in them. Then they want to talk you out of it. And God will let you be talked out of it. He says, you beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceits. And then he mentions this thing about the rudiments of the what? Rudiments of the world. You mean it's possible for whatever rudiments means of the world to be in the system? You mean it's possible to have a heart enjoying the singing and listening to the preaching and all that, and yet, again, whatever rudiments means, that the rudiments of the world is in the system? Well, what does rudiments mean? Well, you'll find it in verse 20, chapter 2 there, Colossians 2. In verse 20, he said, Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, he says, Why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Would you agree with me that in just one verse here, it hadn't described what it means yet, but whatever rudiments is, it has to do with ordinances. You know, the things that traditional things that people do, the law, what they did, what Paul was teaching to people who were being invaded by these Judaizers. And they were talking them out of the right way and telling them to go back into the law and you had to be circumcised or you had to do this and had to do that. Paul said, they're robbing you. They're taking away from you the right kind of a way. They're dragging you back into another way. You're back into observing months and days. People still do. They believe some days ought to be worshipped by the church, like Christmas or Easter. They think that we should be obligated to have that as a day of reverence. And yet, the Bible never says that. In fact, it says things against that. You observe days and times. You shouldn't do that. Or the same word is used in Hebrews 5. You know the word. He says, for us a time come which you ought to be teachers. You have need again that someone preach to you the first principles of the oracles of God. you remember that? Well, the word principles is the same word as rudiments. And it has to do with the element, the elementary beginnings. Principles. Think of this, about how Christian people have been put to sleep by preaching. He said, you know, the time has come when you ought yourselves to be teachers of other people. You should be able to explain to other people what you believe because you've been taught a lot. The Word should be rich in you. We said, you have need again. It seems like you live in continuous need that all you can receive is ABCs. The first principles. The first elementary beginnings. He said in Colossians 2 after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, the way the world functions. Think of how many churches function by these rudiments of the world. Take the government of the church. Do not most churches have a pulpit committee of some sort whose job it is to oversee the pastor? <laughs> not the other way around, but to oversee him. They hire a man. They give him a salary. He is a hireling. No matter how rude that may sound, he is a hireling. He is paid for. He is bought. He went to school to learn what his price would be, and he got one. And so they pay him to do this, and they tell him, you will do this, you will do this, and you will do this. And if he got in the pulpit and said, nowhere in the Bible does it say I'm supposed to do this, this, or this, but well, he is gone because the system is a democratic process. You have a yearly meeting according to the government standards that you have to have by the law if you're government tax-deductible system. You have a congregational meeting and you vote. You vote on who will be elders, who will be deacons, who will be trustees. They all have their little duties each week or each month. And they are on the board. You have a chairman of the board and they dictate the whole pace of the church. I'm not personally against having people that I would call an advisory council who give me advice on things that I don't really know what I would do about it. What do you all think? Or if something happened to me and I was gone, they would be in charge. 
until something came out of that. I mean, we're not left as orphans or helpless. So there is a certain amount of organization that any church would have. But it's when you begin to aspire to do it the world's way, then it becomes infested with the world. And it is because of one thing. We don't trust each other. We don't trust each other. That's why we have three years you can be on the board. You might try to take over. Out you go. We don't trust people. There is a way that seems right. And the way that it seems right, people have come adjusted to. They become themselves spiritually worldly and don't even know it. And are offended if you hear this message. Offended. Can they change any way they do things? Oh, no. In Charlestown, there in the first Christian church, when we all got saved and had the big church split, our side won. <laughs> First thing we did was vote out of the denomination. That meant the preacher was going to lose all of his time spent in the system, and, and he was no longer going to be recognized. And uh, he said, we're out of your system, and we voted out of it. And not long after that, a number of us had to leave. And it wasn't long after that, I think they went back in. I think they did. I don't know if they did or not. I think at one point they were thinking about it. There is something about the world getting a hold of us that we don't know what to do without it. What if you didn't have health care? What if there were no hospitals in this town? What if there was a law that says, unless you are with insurance, you will not be treated under any conditions. If you're on the side of the road, they'll just drag you in a ditch and leave you there. If you don't have insurance, what would you do? Does that frighten you? They asked me that down at Frankfurt one day at the Capitol building before a committee. I was telling them, why well, I didn't want all that. They said, so if you're in a car wreck and somebody found you on the side of the road, you just say, leave me laying here. And I said, sir, I don't know what I would do if I was on the side of the road. All I can tell you is that God has taken care of me all these years, and if that ever happened, He'd take care of me then. And you could see the disgust. You could see the disgust. You could cut it. If disgust was a thing, you could cut it with a knife. You could almost see. Nobody said anything, but you can see the look. How disgusting. You mean you wouldn't go to a doctor? What would he have said if I said, you mean you wouldn't trust God? Oh, that's offensive. Oh, it's okay that way. You mean you wouldn't take a pill? And we say, you mean you wouldn't just trust God to heal your body? You wouldn't? That's why we're looked at as fools. I found a new way of living. I found a new life that is heavenly and divine. And the world gnashes its teeth on us. It not only does it now, but in eternity and those dark voids where they're whirling and spinning through space. In outer darkness, they gnash their teeth forever. What foolish choices they made in their lives. What foolish choices they all made. Would you go to 1 Corinthians 4 so we can close? We must be willing to abandon the world's way and become fools for Christ, folks. That's when we take up the cross. That's when we begin to, to follow Him. That's when we begin to bear reproach and persecution for His sake. That's when we deny this world's wisdom in our carnal, righteous self. That's what the message of the cross in the Bible is all about. Give it up. It'll kill you. It'll kill you. Because in the end, when it's all over, you may not believe it now, but you will then, when it's all over and it's your turn to stand before God, the almighty, righteous, fair, just judge. He will look at you and me 
All things are known to him. Every breath you ever took, nothing is hidden. And he'll look at your life and the choices you made and what you did. And it's judgment day. Now, thank God for Jesus. See, Jesus not only forgave me, but in recognition of my weakness, offers me hope. He says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father Christ Jesus, the faithful. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just. Think of that. We can be forgiven all through our life, and the world can't. They can't. First Corinthians chapter 4 in closing and verse 10. He said, we are fools for Christ. Question I want to ask you this morning as we come to a close. Are you willing to be a fool for Christ? Are you willing to be viewed as less than normal by a lost world? Are you willing to let your light shine in dark places knowing that they will hate it? Are you willing to speak the truth in love knowing you're going to be put down for it? Are you willing to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding? Are you in all your ways willing to acknowledge Him and let Him direct your steps into more of the same? knowing that every step you take towards heaven is another moment of disgust in this world as they look at you. You could have done so well. You could have had so much more. You could have had, you could have had, and you gave it all up. You left a good business. Man, you were making serious money, and you left it and went to some jungle. And we never heard of you again. You could have had everything this world offers and lived your last days in ease. And, and you went down there in a the jungle and died down there on a dirt floor. Would the world call that a fool? Yeah, what if God sent a person down there? What if he sent one of you? What if he sent one of your children? Would you say no or would you say, praise God, I'm glad I raised one that he can use. I'm glad I raised one that he wants. I'm glad I raised one that can hear his voice and without regret hug their mother and father and leave. Like Paul said, we may never see you again. But would to God I had more than one life to give. I told you all about my dream. It's getting later and later in life. I don't know how it's ever going to happen now. So, But I was in that boat down there and these thatched I still see those huts, those round things with straw on them getting in that boat with these out riggers on them and going up the river. And all of a sudden, I came away from my body. I remember I was up about 30 feet in the air looking down at me and these other guys in that boat. And they jumped out of trees and jumped off the bank with machetes. And they were chopping Brother Tom. And it was over. I didn't wake up screaming. It's just a dream. It looks like that's all it's going to be. But what if we heard the clarion call, go to Brazil in the jungles. Have to learn Portuguese then. Stay in Ecuador, you can speak Spanish. And you go and never see anybody again except these people that can't give you nothing. They can't help you. They can't do anything for you. Your entire life is going to be spent giving and doing and helping with no reward from the people, only from God in the last day. What fools are we to do that? I'd rather be a fool for Christ than to be considered a fool by God. The wisdom of this world tarnishes everything. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We don't have time to do chapter 1, 2, and 3, but let's just do chapter 1. We'll get 2 and 3 next week. Let's begin with verse 18. Now, let's read it carefully. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, remember what we're talking about. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, because cross always means giving up something, dying to something. 
But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? It saves nobody. Nobody is saved that way. Verse 21, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. (laughs) Can you imagine the foolishness of preaching? The foolishness of preaching. It's not foolishness, but it's considered to be foolishness. For the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom. We preach Christ crucified under the Jews, a stumbling block, because he's supposed to come and liberate them and make them a powerful nation and rule the rest of the world. He didn't come and do that, so he's a stumbling block. This Christ, and he still is. Unto the Greeks, that's foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now notice, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men because that's how they view God's way. It's foolish and weak. For you see your calling, brethren, in the Shelbyville Christian Assembly, how that not many wise men after the flesh... Not many mighty, not many noble are called. Who here is a big shot in the world? None of you. You think big shots are looking for this place? When's the last time famous people were looking for Shelbyville Christian Assembly? They don't want to come in here. Have you seen the outside of our building? It's quite a place, ain't it? Well, concerning that too, listen. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. But God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things in the world and things that are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in His presence. That's what God chose. He chose you. He chose you to live His way. He told you to reject the world out there and all of its wisdom. Like Paul said in what is in chapter 4, he said, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the power of God. We're not trying to manipulate you and form fancy words to attract you. To, no, he said, We just preach the gospel. Paul himself said, you know, his speech and his preaching was somewhat contemptible. His bodily stature was weak. I'm thinking, why would God choose somebody like that to be an apostle? I can see this naughty little fellow, you know, that probably wasn't a good speaker. And apparently he took him a long time to make a point. He might speak all night. Didn't know what a watch was. Why would God pick somebody like that to preach? Easy to criticize. Easy to put down. Why wouldn't you get you some accomplished somebody? I don't know. After all these years, I don't know. All I know is that what he did, he did. And the way it is, is the way it is. And if God said this is the way, walk ye in it, then that's the wise, smart thing to do. Amen. I'm only half done, and I'm so glad. Amen. Bow your head. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for us here this morning that you will indeed deliver us from the damage, from the ways and the judgment that will come upon all the people that are of this world. I ask you to open our eyes to see what's going on, to pull the veil back for enough for us to see how deadly the world and its philosophies are. 
and to give grace to all of us to see the way we should see, to have the courage to walk the way we should walk, and to be willing to live the way we should live. I ask you to bless us with all of that and help us not dread the things that are lying ahead the way you've given us to live, but to rejoice that we are your receptacles on this earth to receive your word and your light. We ask it and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.